All right, here we go. Uh, as most of you know, good, welcome again. It's great to have you guys here. Uh, we, we begin to reassemble in the wake of a, of a global pandemic, uh, and I pray that we continue to do so for uh, a long while and even add to our numbers. Uh, we've started this new series in which I've entitled One Thing. Hopefully, again, you can see that. This is what we're going to try and do this setup for uh, the next couple of weeks and see how that goes. Um, and uh, my purpose behind the series is to try and teach you just one thing, one thing each time we gather, and uh, uh, one simple truth that you can take with you and chew on and, and dwell on for the, uh, uh, the weeks and days to come. And I'll tell you what sort of gave me this idea to do this. It may not surprise you to hear that it was in talking with my, my kids. Uh, those of you that know me for a while know that I love to use my, my family in illustrations and, and stories, uh, much to their uh, uh, disenchantment sometimes. But uh, we have two sons. One is 13 and one's almost 15 years old. They both attend public school. And in public school, it may not surprise you to find out that sometimes they teach uh, kids things that they've not learned at home. Uh, for example, my younger son in his, uh, one of his class, I believe it was one of his social studies class, was recently learning about some of the religions of the world. Specifically, he was learning about uh, uh, Christianity. They, they'd covered a little segment on that. They did Judaism and, and Islam. And, and maybe they do this in Christian schools too, I don't know. But you know, we in our family have sought to teach our children the Christian religion. And we, we've almost exclusively focused on that. It's never dawned on us that, hey, uh, maybe we should do an overview of Islam. You know, it's, it's never crossed our minds. You know, we've, there's, the, the well of Christianity is so deep that it would take us a lifetime to even scratch the surface sometimes, I feel like. So, um, uh, you know, I, I don't feel like we have enough time to, to do that, let alone cover other religions too, right? It reminds me of a quote that I heard several years ago, and I'd be surprised if many of you hadn't heard this, as it's been used in, uh, in countless sermons and countless illustrations before, but it's from Ruth Bell Graham. That's the wife of, uh, of Billy Graham, um, the, the long-time uh, evangelist, one of the greatest evangelists in, uh, that our country's ever seen, and the world has ever seen. And, and, and she was talking, Ruth Graham was talking to a man uh, from Scotland Yard, which is the Metropolitan Police in, in London. And so she's talking with this man who's in charge of identifying counterfeit money. Okay, that's his job. My kids are fascinated with counterfeit money, by the way, because again, it's, it looks like money and it's supposed to even pass as, as, as money, but it's not real money. And so even my kids were asking this, how, how do you tell the difference? And guys, we've got chairs over there if we need some more to bring them out. And, and please, if, you know, as long as you maintain your distance, we should be fine to, to even scooch in a little bit. But so uh, Ruth Graham was talking to this man from Scotland Yard and saying, wow, your job, your job is to be in charge of identifying all the counterfeit money out there. You must spend so much time with so many different types of counterfeit bills so you can be an expert on all and be able to identify. And you know what he said? He said, we never touch the stuff. We never touch the counterfeit money at all. Okay. All day long, we just handle the real thing, genuine currency. And when a counterfeit comes our way, we can quickly detect it. They know the real thing so well that when a fake comes along, they can immediately dismiss this as, as counterfeit, right? That's the idea there. And, and so if I take my kids on a deep dive of Christianity, if I steer them towards exploring the depths of what, what I've discovered over the course of my lifetime to be true, when they hear these other ideas come along, hopefully they'll have a check in them that says that, that doesn't sound right. There's something about that that doesn't quite sound right. And I don't even just mean that from a Christian perspective, right? From, from a logical perspective. You know, the Bible is logical, okay? So my son was asking me about what he'd heard in school about another religion. He just straight up asked me, why would, why would someone believe that? Why would someone believe that? 
And, and then even more, he followed up with, why would so many people believe that, asking about this other, other religion? And, and do you see what the underlying question is of that? The underlying question is, Dad, the fact that they believe that doesn't make sense to me. You know, why would so many people believe that? You know, the underlying question is, if, if one person believes something that sounds crazy, you know, he's a nut. If two people believe that, well, he, he found a friend, right? But if a hundred people believe it, you know, if a million people believe it, what, what, if, what if it's the most popular thing to believe and most people believe it and I don't, right? See, th this is a check. <laughs> this is a check uh, against this logic. Glad uh, the text messages aren't showing up here on my screen that I'm getting. <laughs> right now. This is a check against his logic. So, so this is the idea behind what we're doing here. Okay, I want to give you just one thing, one thing to think about, one thing to think about to leave here and really contemplate and maybe even wrestle with. And, and for some of these, these singular things, you, you may already know the answer to them. You may think you already know the answer to them, right? But can you undeniably, unequivocally, without reservation say that it's true and that it's not a counterfeit, right? I want to try and provide some security in what you believe, okay? A good foundation that you can pass along to your family in the fundamentals of the faith that maybe you've not even thought about for a while here, okay? So here's our first question. Here's our first one thing. Are you ready? Here comes our first one thing. Oh, it skipped it. How about that? It's not even, I gave you the answer before I gave you the question. The one thing, <laughs> the one thing is what is God. Okay. That's the one thing we're going to talk about today. What is God? Okay. What is God? And first things first, I want you to notice the question. I'm not saying who is God. You know, if you're, if you've been with us for a while, we covered that in the study several weeks ago, we talked about who is God. I'm saying, what is God? All right. In other words, what we're trying to do here is describe what God is. What, what are some of God's characteristics or some of his attributes? Okay. So here we go. I'm going to, I'm just going to open it up to the floor. What, how would you answer that question? If someone said to you, what is God? Who wants to throw out an answer there? What is God? Say again, love. God is love. Good answer. Someone else. Eternal. God is eternal. I love these answers. Someone else. Creator? Someone else? Spirit? You said spirit? Good. Someone else? Unchanging. Savior. Okay. These are all great answers. And I would say all of them are right. Okay. But again, we're trying to, we're trying to distill this down into one clean, tight answer, right? So you can go home and think about this. All right. I'm going to cheat a little bit here. I'm going to read for you the answer to this exact question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Okay. And for those of you who aren't aware, the Westminster Confession is essentially an extended articulation of all the things that we believe as, as Protestants, as Christians born of the, uh, after the Reformation. Okay, when, when the Protestant church uh, divided from the Catholic church and in the back section of every, just about every copy I've ever seen of the Westminster Confession, you have the shorter and larger catechisms. And these essentially are, are, are quiz, uh, quizzes so to test you sort of, or uh, quiz you on, on what you've already learned or what you've read through in the rest of the document, okay? And uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith has this shorter catechism. And these questions were, be able, were, were created to be able to teach who? Anyone have a guess? children. 
the Westminster Shorter Catechism was developed and the larger catechism was developed for children, okay? So that they could, could sort of marinate on these ideas, okay? So, so let's, let's, let's see what the children back in the 1600s had to chew on when someone asked them a question like, what is God? All right, this was the answer for them to memorize, to take from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question four, it says this. God, I hope you can see it back there. If you want, come on closer, right? God is a spirit, and hope you can see it online too. We'll play with the settings as we go along here uh, in weeks to come. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Okay, there we go. That's the children's answer to what is God. Everybody good? I told you I'd give you one thing. That's it. Who wants to close us in prayer? We're done. No, 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 no. You know, I'm not gonna let you off that easy. Let, let's unpack this a little bit, just a little bit, and I'm gonna keep it simple. I'm gonna, uh, I told you I'd try and keep it simple. We're gonna provide a simple answer to an even uh, uh, more simple answer to even what we already have here. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed how one little word, sometimes one even little letter, can change the meaning of something entirely? Let me give you an example of something that happened just last week. And it requires a little setup, so bear with me. And uh, the fact that I'm about to explain this uh, all the more adds to the irony of the situation. How many of you are familiar with a term in football called a Hail Mary? Does everyone know that? Can I see a show of hands? Better yet, if you don't know what a Hail Mary in football is, can you raise your hand just so I can get an idea? Okay, a Hail Mary in football is if you're, this is your, literally your last prayer. That's why it's based on the Hail Mary, the, the Catholic prayer. If, if you're down one to eight points, right? You're down one to eight points and, and, and there's not enough time on the clock to do anything. You have one chance just to throw it like this. If this is a football field and you're over here somewhere, it's too far for a field goal to make a difference. So your one chance is just to throw it all the way down into the end zone, the touchdown, right? And hope that someone on your team catches it. Okay. That's the prayer. It's a Hail Mary. It's your last prayer. This is a low percentage play. Most of the time it, it doesn't work. It's your last chance, but it's the only chance you've got. So you take it, right? So this, all the, this is all set up, by the way. My son was watching uh, uh, a video of some kind showing the top 10 plays of the year in, in, in football this year. And uh, he noticed that the number one was this play where this Hail Mary occurred, okay? The guy threw the ball. It was a guy on the uh, 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 Phoenix, uh, not Phoenix, Arizona Cardinals, right? And uh, he threw it against the Buffalo Bills. Touchdown, game over, they won. Another wrinkle to the story. The guy that threw the pass, his name was Kyler Murray. So Kyler Murray threw a Hail Mary and some clever sports journalist out there dubbed it the Hail Murray. See that? Okay, so my son is watching this video. The number one play is the Hail Murray. And so my son says, dad, the number one play this year was the Hail Murray. And I said, cool. Now my wife is next to me. She does not know anything about football. She doesn't like football. If football went away tomorrow, her life wouldn't change at all. She could take it or leave it. I'll put it that way. And so she hears my son say, the top play last year was the Hail Murray. And then she looks at me and says, did he say Hail Mary? Now, knowing that my wife does not know, care, or think anything about football, I realize that's a long explanation to try and tell her the difference between a Hail Murray and a Hail Mary. She said, did he say Hail Mary? I responded with, Yep. <laughs> I was trying to save myself a few words, knowing again, she doesn't know the, but because, well, what's a, what's a Hail Mary? 
again, trying to keep my answer economical here from one to, well, it's a type of a play in football. Now my one word answer has gone to nine words, okay? I'm trying to avoid this long explanation. So she says, oh, okay, it's a type of play in football. I think is the conversation done? Not by a long shot. Because then she says, um, it sounded like he said, Hail Murray. <laughs> And so now with the very thing I was trying to avoid, this long explanation, I just had to, I just, just what I had to do with you guys, I had to do with her. Well, you see, there's this guy named Kyler Murray and he threw a play and so all the way, you know, explaining it all, but I was trying to avoid the very thing. And look, and now irony, I'm explaining it to you all too. I've spent so many words on this explanation, all because of a distinction between Hail Murray and Hail Mary. All right, one, one little consonance or one little syllabus Syllabus, syllables worth of difference. That's not a nickel's worth of distance, a difference. And I'm having to explain myself. Uh, what I, I knew the conversation was over when, when Tracy said to me, but, but Mary didn't play football, right? <laughs> Come on, Tracy, right? <laughs> By that point, she already knew. She already knew. And I'm going to go, I'm going to get him back, okay? So the difference between Hail Mary and Hail Murray, words mean something, letters mean something. In order, and the order of those letters and words means something. One word, one letter, one syllable sometimes can make all the difference. Watch this. Notice how deliberate this answer is from the shorter catechism. It doesn't say God is spirit, does it? It doesn't say God is spirit. What does it say? It says God is a spirit. All right. What does that suggest to you? God is a spirit. What does that suggest to you? That he what? He's one, one of many. That means there are other things that can be described as spirit, right? Not just God. There are other things that are spirit-natured, okay? For instance, if I say the spirit, what does that mean when we say spirit? Okay, God is a spirit. If I say the spirit of man, am I referring to something material or something non-material? The spirit of man, is that something I can touch and grab and hold and see, or am I referring to something non-material? non-material, okay? I'm referring to something non-material. And I have to say that we have to be careful because in defining that God as a spirit is tough because there's an element of mystery here. I'll grant you that. When we're describing what God is, there is certainly an element of mystery. We're trying our best to put our words around something that is somewhat undescribable, okay? What we're saying here is, is that uh, we are affirming that God does not have a body like man. Okay, we affirm that he is invisible, as in he is not viewable. No man has ever seen God and no man will ever see God with his physical eyes, 1 John 4, 12. Okay, in the first chapter of John, in the first chapter of John, uh, the apostle is introducing his reader to Jesus who identifies as the word. You know, you're familiar with this passage? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, it says. You know, a few verses down, when John is wrapping up his prologue, he says this, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Okay, all right, stop. Grammar time. See what I did there for all you old timers? Notice how the translators here have, have, have rendered this verse for us. No one has ever seen God, semicolon. All right. Does anyone know what the, the function of a semicolon does? Remember what we were saying a bit ago, how one, one little stroke, one little thing, one little thing can change the meaning of something entirely. How do we use a semicolon? Well, in the, in the world of text messaging, right, it's half the components of creating a winky face, right? This thing, right? Do you know what the difference between this and this is? Do you know what the difference is? One is a smiley face. 
and one is a winking face. I've seen grown men get in a lot of trouble for not realizing that one of these is always okay to use in a text message or one of them is not, right? If you say, I'll see you soon, smiley face, always okay. I'll see you soon, winky face, watch yourself. Be careful, what are you trying to say? Be careful, little fingers, what you type, okay? Here's the real use of a semicolon. The semicolon is used to join two independent clauses. All right, an independent clause can stand alone as a sentence. So when you see a sentence with a semicolon in the middle of it, you have two thoughts that could, that could stand alone as sentences if you wanted to, but you're linking them. You're linking them together. It's like you finished one sentence, but then you're trying to alert the reader, I've got something else to say that's related to this, what I just said. Okay, they go together. They, they, are, they are complete sentences in, the, in and of themselves. They could stand as complete sentences. So notice John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, semicolon. All right? In other words, that in and of itself is a complete thought. No one has ever seen God, functional period. Okay? God is a spirit. We cannot see him. We cannot touch him. Moses will tell you we can't look upon him. You remember this account from Exodus 33? One of my favorite accounts in all of scripture. I love this. Moses uh, is to the point that he's had a lot of interaction with God and he gets to, gets to a place where, where he's with God and he says, you know, Lord, you've told me a, a lot. Uh, you've told me that you, you know me by name and you said I, I found favor in your sight, right? So I was wondering, maybe, maybe I could see you. I, I want to look upon you in all your glory. I want to see your face. And I say, I have to admit someone here on... Here we go. I want to see your face, he says. He tells Moses, I want to see you. I want to see your face. And what did God answer? No way. No way. No, I'll, I'll tuck you behind this rock. There's a giant rock over here, and I'll tuck you behind the rock, and I'll, and I'll pass by it. And so someone once described to me that it, what, what this looked like, or, you know, it's essentially you know, God's showing Moses' backside. It's even less than that. It's, you know how sometimes you have a cartoon and, and you're drawing a picture of a cartoon and you see the guy and he's running by and, and he's running. And so you draw the lines that go by the swoosh. It's like God is saying, I'll show you the swoosh. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Anything else? And it's going to blow you away, Moses. It'll kill you if you look at me. You can't see my face and, and live, okay? And, and uh, um, this is what John's whole point in that opening chapter of, of uh, the book of John is. No one has ever seen God. Full stop. No one has ever seen God. No one. He's spirit. He's not material. You can't touch him. You can't see him. And then, miracle of all miracles, God came and dwelt among us. This, uh, this is something that we talked about also last study too. This is the miracle of Christmas, that God, untouchable, unseeable, unviewable, came and dwelt among us. That's crazy. That's crazy. God came to dwell among us in person, in the person Jesus. The immaterial took on material. And that's the second complete thought, the second clause here. No one has ever seen God. That in of itself can, can exist by itself. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is God incarnate. The one who can't be looked upon came down. Listen to this. The fullness of God in our midst so, so how are we able to be around him? How are we able to be around? How were, how were the disciples able to be around him? They were shielded by the rock. All that way long ago in Exodus 33 was telling us a story that one day, one day you'd be able to have God in your midst, but you'd have to be shielded by the rock who is the person Jesus. The fullness of God 
the fullness of God providing us, as it were, a shield so that we can be in his midst, in the midst of God. Okay, in a single independent clause here, that second half, John is acknowledging the oneness of God, yet also affirming his threefold nature. All right, I was, trying, I was trying to explain this to my son the other day too. God is one, okay? If there's one thing I want you to learn, right? It's that God is one. God is one, all right? We are monotheists. We don't believe in multiple God. We believe in one God. God is one. God is one, okay? God is one, uh, yet he exists in three persons. One God, three persons. So how does that work? That's going to be one of our upcoming topics in this one thing series, the Trinity. What's that all about, right? Okay, we're going we're gonna to get some mechanics of that. But for now, suspend that thought for a moment and just dwell here with attention that God is a spirit, untouchable, invisible, invisible, uh, can't be approached, yet we have Jesus, who is God, right? Let, let Just dwell on that for a little bit. And let that tension exist, because again, that's only going to that's only going to bring about the the wonder and majesty of what what Jesus was, what Jesus is. That the fullness of God somehow we're able to behold that now. Okay, um, I'm going to try. We all have a little bit more time left here, so I'm going to try and land the plane here. Uh, so if you have any questions, hang on to them. Please come to, talk to me afterwards, and we'll we'll try and wrap all this up. Uh, so God is spirit. That's the one thing I know. I told you one thing you'd come in here and learn, but uh, the one thing we're trying to answer is what is God. What is God? God is spirit. That's only the first part of the answer. I'm going to touch on the rest of the answer. So you leave here with a pretty good understanding of, of what the rest of that, uh, that phrase was saying. Let's see, get the whole statement again. God is spirit, is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. As many of you know, I've mentioned many times, I've You've mentioned earlier, I have two boys, right? And the interesting thing about having kids, especially is that at their age, they're, they're big. They're getting bigger, right? They're, they're now size, volume-wise, as many adults. Uh, my older son is about as tall as my wife now, and he's currently at the stage uh, where he can eat everything, everything, edible or otherwise. His body is consuming at a, a fuel at a faster rate than we can keep up with. We eat dinner in less than 30 minutes. Later, he's snacking. He's already snacking. And, and when he's looking for a snack, what does he do? He goes into the pantry and gets whatever he wants. Now, I've tried to establish some boundaries, okay? This is your food. This is my food. Your food, my food. And here's the difference. It's not that I'm being stingy here. It's that I'm getting old and I can't eat all the things that popcorn is a great example of this. If he wants to go get some popcorn, great. There's microwave popcorn available. I am old. I have a special way of making popcorn where I use olive oil because I'm actively trying not to die, trying to be healthy. Well, he found my popcorn, you know, that, and so he sees the ways that I make with, with olive oil. He's like, hey, dad, this is pretty good. And, and so now he's eating my popcorn. And again, it's not that I don't want to share. And then it just got me thinking of all the things as parents that we share with our kids, which is pretty much everything. I try, I literally watched my blinking cursor on the computer screen for a while, trying to come up with a list of things that we do not share with our kids. And I couldn't hardly think of three things. I came up with uh, my bank account, okay, which they kind of get the benefits of that. My phone, I said, you know, listen, you have your own phones now. You have your own things. There's no need for you to touch mine. It's mine. And the only other thing I could come up with is we don't share undergarments. That's the only other thing I can think of, honestly. And, and the, those are the only things that I could think of that we don't share. Okay, everything else is shared. All right, here's where I'm going with all this. There's a point. <laughs> and it presents us with a little bit of tension too. Remember when I said describing God as a spirit, it's a little bit of a mystery. 
Okay, here's why. In the opening pages of Genesis, it says this. Genesis 1:26, the first part. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And I know you've probably heard that before. We're all image bearers. You know, we're all, every one of us has been created intentionally in the image of God. And that doesn't mean that we're an exact duplicate of God, right? We're not. We're image bearers, like a mirror, okay? There are, any, there are many attributes that God has that he, in a sense, shares with us, that he communicates to us. But then there are also some attributes that he does not share with us, okay? He does not communicate back to us. For example, God is a God of intentionality, right? He does things deliberately and intentionally. We can be creatures who are deliberate and intentional. God is a God who's a creator. We can be creative beings. In fact, I've shared with you a number of times that whenever I see something like a rebuilt car or a rebuilt house or a wall that's dirty, that's been cleaned and then repainted, there's something inside of me that, that no kidding wants to worship. You know, when I see something made new again, you know why? Because that's how my father is. My father is the same way. And I'm reflecting some of that back to him. All right, I'm made in his image. Okay, especially if I engage in that activity of, of rebuilding. I mean, it's a worshipful moment. God is a God of love. We can express love. We are creatures that can show love. We may not do it perfectly as he does, just as a mirror displays a reflection, not as good as the original source, but it does show something of the original source. So God shares with us what, with what, uh, shares with us what we call communicable attributes, okay? These are the, the attributes that he communicates to us, and we reflect back to him. What are his incommunicable attributes? Do you know? What are the incommunicable attributes that he does not share with us that are uniquely God's? Let's go back to our answer from the catechism. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Okay? And, and let's be clear with, it, with this answer here. This answer is not just trying to list off a bunch of attributes of God, right? Look at it carefully. Look at the precise wording here. Remember what I said? God is infinite in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God is eternal in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God is unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, and truth. Okay? You see where we're going with this? Do you see how it's divided? He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, those are his incommunicable attributes, right? In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Those are his communicable attributes. Attributes. Which ones can we share with him? Communicable. The ones not in blue. Which ones can we not share with him? Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, okay? What's the implication of this? I'm going to bring it back all down for a landing here. Remember when I told you my kids are, are studying things in school that, hey, that doesn't sound right. One of the things they're being taught, which may not surprise you, is there's different ideas for how the world got here, right? Some people say, well, it's a creator. Some people are saying what? Just, just happened, okay? So here's why this is important. You have to acknowledge the fact somehow, some way, how this all got here, there has to be something that is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. You can even say, I, I don't acknowledge that there's a God, 
but you have to. You have to acknowledge that something, at some point, to get this all going, there had to be something that was infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And you can, maybe you can rest with that and say, great. I acknowledge that maybe it's the earth itself. Maybe there's this energy out there that we call the earth that is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. But where do we get being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth? Where does that come from? Where does that come from? It has to come from a being. It has to come from something else. It has to come from, it can't just be something that exploded and, and just happened, all right? Again, you can, acknowledge, you can, you can argue all day, all day long that it's the earth. It's the earth. It's the energy around the earth that's, that's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. But then what about those other attributes that we share, that we all have, that we can all take part in? Where does that come from? And it's only God. It's only the God that we acknowledge that says this, that yes, we acknowledge his infinite, he's eternal, he's unchangeable, but then he also communicates some of, something else back to us. That, that Where can you account for that? Where can you get it from? Where else can you get it? Where else can you get being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth? Where does that come from? It has to come from something. It has to come from God. What is God? It's this. It's this. All right? That takes us to about 1047. And uh, are there any other comments, questions, or thoughts before we dismiss? I know that was a lot, but again, I just want you to think about this one thing when you go home. What is God? He's a spirit. Can't touch him, can't look at him, can't see him. Okay? And he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, incommunicable attributes in his communicable attributes, being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, and truth, right? Anyone else? Thoughts, comments, questions, anything? Yes, R Rhoda. Did I get it right, Rhoda? All right, go ahead. So I always thought that hell could be really hell mm -hmm. because there is no hell. Uh, well, let, let, me, let me give you, this is something to chew on, okay, because this is a deep answer, and it's probably going to come as a surprise to a lot of you, because a lot of times we, we, we go with the understanding, the question was, by the way, for those of you watching online, uh, was, was about the nature of hell, and uh, that, um, that perhaps what made hell so awful is that it's lacking some of these things, like holiness, like uh, uh, eternal, or some of these incommunicable attributes. So I want to slightly correct that because what we're, we're usually taught to understand is that hell is the complete absence of God, okay? The absence of all these, good, these things good. It's not quite right. Hell is not only the absence of, of the good attributes of God, but it's being in the presence of God, exposed to his wrath, exposed to his holiness, which again, remember, remember what, what, uh, what he told Moses. Can I, look, can I look at you? And what did God say to him? No, why? What will happen? It'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. So be, being in hell, not only is being separated from God and his goodness and, his, and the good attributes of God, but it's being in his presence, not protected by the rock, not protected by the one that is Jesus, that shields you from the thing that would destroy you, his wrath his, and, and, his, and his, uh, his judgment upon you. And so, so even, even, so that's why we say God is, is uh, uh, omnipotent, he's omniscient, all-knowing, and he's omnipresent. He's everywhere, even in hell. Even in hell, meaning that he's exposing him, himself to, the, to the, 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 
you know, his wrath to those who aren't protected by Jesus. And that is what makes hell so awful. In addition to the fact that you're separated from all the good things that he's communicated to us. Okay. Chew on that one. I'm sorry. That's the second thing you're going to have to chew on today, but that's a big one. Someone else? Anything else? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. You and I are spiritual beings. Okay. Not only do we have a physical human body, but we also have a soul. Okay. We also, in spirit is all, all it means to say is that we even talk here in the Bible that uh, we war not against flesh and blood, but against what? The powers, the principalities and, and the spirits, you know, this, this, this present age, meaning that there, God is not making an exclusive claim because what, here's what, here's what it does. Here's how it unwinds. If we say God is spirit, then that quickly turns into, ah, God is everything and in everything and everywhere, okay? Yes, he's omnipresent, but, uh, you know, I don't say, ah, God is in this lectern, and therefore I will worship this lectern. No, he's was one of many, could be many spiritual beings, acknowledging that this is a spiritual universe that we live in, and that there are other spiritual elements, but that God is supreme over all of them. Make sense? Yep. All right. Okay, for those of you that have to get to the 11 o'clock service, I want to be sensitive about that. So uh, we're going to put a pin in it there. And again, oh, okay. We may not be able to meet next week. I'm still working on that. I'm preaching at Music Row next week. Not Music Row, excuse me, Cool Springs. So unless I can find someone to fill in for me, uh, we may not be able to, to meet. But again, after that, we're still going to keep going on the regular uh, weekly basis. I'll let you know for sure about next week, okay? All right, let me go ahead and close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are God and that you are spirit. You are a spirit. You are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and that you give us all these other things of being. You give us wisdom and power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, Father. And if not for the fact that we have Jesus Christ, where would we be? How would we be able to appreciate these things and know these things, Father, and that you've come to us individually and you've uh, given yourself to us? Father, let that permeate our minds and our hearts this week as we uh, go in, in different directions. Uh, we thank you for who you are. Uh, we love you and uh, thank you for loving us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.